Hey, welcome back. Where did COVID-19 come from? We're not done with this pandemic. We're not done by a long shot, but we are still trying to get some kind of definitive answer about the origins of COVID-19. And after months of minimizing the possibility as just a fringe theory, the Biden administration has now kind of changed it up and is, is joining worldwide pressure to be more open about the outbreak. You may recall in 2020, there were discussions about, you know, was is this a bioweapon? Is this something that has escaped from a lab in Wuhan? And those things were just utterly dismissed and pushed aside as conspiracy theories. And quite frankly, I was one of them that was siding with the doctors, Fauci and the other medical experts at the time, who were saying that the the, the chances of this being man-made or a leak from a lab were extremely low. Now, things have changed. And why have things changed? Well, I think it might have more to do with international pressure and geopolitics than actual science. Now, there are some things that have changed. We've got a new reporting that a number of doctors became ill uh, at, at a lab, you know, just prior to the point when COVID-19 was first identified. And the lab theory, though, has really now sort of jumped back out again. So w- what's the reality here? What is the science actually telling us? Aaron J. Banerjee is a virologist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization in Saskatoon. knows a great deal about this. Welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Alan. Let's begin with what the science tells us about what we do and do not know about the origins of COVID-19. You know, Alan, there are two things. There's possibilities and there are probabilities, right? The possibilities are endless. Possibilities are we've come from Mars. Possibilities are the virus arrived on a meteorite. But those are possibilities and possibilities can be whimsical as well. But now think about probabilities. Probabilities are based on evidence. If you look at high pathogenic coronaviruses, SARS-1, MERS coronavirus, they've all come from wildlife. You look at low pathogenic coronaviruses, they also, some of them are connected to wildlife. So the data would suggest the probabilities are more likely the viruses come from wildlife. Now again, like I said, possibilities are endless because we haven't really identified a virus with 100% similarity in wildlife. Researchers have room for speculation about other theories, and that's essentially what's going on. So what the what Biden said yesterday is that the majority of the intelligence community have kind of coalesced around two scenarios, but he kind of raised the specter here that, you know, the animal link is the majority of thought is around the animal link, but the, there is another lab theory, which he has got, what is it, you know, each with low or moderate confidence. And give me a sense of uh, your takeaway from what the American administration is now saying. So I think, and you rightfully mentioned, Alan, there are two standing theories or two priority theories. There are other theories that the first WHO team recommended that uh, aren't being discussed, but there are other possibilities as well. But if you look at the data, you know, when SARS-2 was first identified, people have now identified viruses in bats that are very similar to SARS, upwards of 90% similarity. And there is no data yet suggesting that there was an accidental exposure in a lab. The data as of May 27, 2021, points towards a zoonotic transmission. And the question is, what number is good enough to confidently prove that SARS-2 has come from an animal? 
Is 95% good enough? Is 96%? Are we aiming for 100%? The, the, the thing is, Alan, zoonosis, or transmission of a pathogen from animals to humans, is an extremely transient event. It doesn't happen all the time. So it's very difficult to retrospectively go back and identify what really happened and how a pathogen made its way from one animal to perhaps other animals and eventually into humans. I'm speaking with Aaron J. Banerjee, who's a virologist and at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization in Saskatoon. And Can you tell me, just explain that science a little bit more about how a virus can move from animal to human and how unusual it is? So there are, I'll, I'll talk about pathogens in general. So there are other pathogens, talk about salmonella, right? So salmonella is a huge threat. We've been educated. We shouldn't have raw, uncooked chicken. And that's how we avoid getting salmonella. And there are other viruses that exist in wildlife. And because humans don't generally come in contact with these wildlife species, we often don't see these pathogens. And hence, our population is naive. When some of these pathogens or viruses, for example, jump from, for an example, let's talk about bats. If there's a bat-borne coronavirus that makes it into humans directly, or if you look at historical data, they have often moved through other intermediate mammals. So for SARS-1, it was bats to civet cats to humans. For MERS coronavirus, the virus evolved in bats, moved into camels, and camels today are the reservoirs of Middle East respiratory syndrome coronaviruses. So these things happen, and the ones that often cause severe disease are, are pathogens that the human population has never seen before. And in terms of the actual outbreak and where it came from, one one theory that it's kind of making its way around is that that it was from wildlife, but that the bat was taken actually to the lab, and then the lab, and then it somehow it escaped from the lab, or someone was infected within the lab, and and then it got out. Did you put any credibility behind that? But again, that's a theory, Alan. There is no data proving any of this. You know, like I said, science is informed by data, and as scientists, we are. We look at data and we make our decisions based on data. The data as of today clearly indicates that bats are naturally infected with coronaviruses. How the transmission really happened, we, we don't know yet. We don't know how the virus moved from bats to humans or bats to other animals and eventually into humans. That is something that's, that's being worked upon. How important is it to understand that? I think it is, it is critical to understand how the virus moves around in different populations. I'll give you an example. So in, in Denmark, SARS coronavirus too went spread on mink farms. The virus went from humans to minks and then moved back from minks into humans. So there was reverse zoonosis and zoonosis, or what we call zooanthroponosis, when humans transmit a virus to animals. So if we weren't able to identify these transmission, there's no way we can have policies in place to avoid these transmission events. Right? So we also need to understand which animals are susceptible, which animals can acquire the virus, and what are the consequences? Can the virus change in these animals? And if the virus does change in the animals, what are the consequences for vaccination campaigns that we are currently having? Right. So I think there are bigger questions we should be focusing on. Yeah, that, 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 I mean, you know, in terms of things that scare the, the jabbers out of me, that's one of them. You know, we, we have the concern that we won't get the world vaccinated enough and in an, uh, unvaccinated populations, another virus or another mutation will emerge outside the efficacy of the vaccines. But it's also possible that it could change within an animal host, and then mm -hmm. and we would have a variant that way as well. Yes. And the, the other thing, Alan, that very few folks are talking about is establishing animal reservoirs. 
You know, if you look at the success of vaccines in eliminating or eradicating a pathogen, it is extremely difficult to eradicate a virus or eliminate a virus that's got a wildlife reservoir. So we know bats are susceptible to coronaviruses. But right now, as of today, I think humans as a species, the Homo sapiens, we are the largest vectors of SARS-2. We are infected, and we are not looking into which animal populations are getting infected through humans. And what are the consequences of that for long-term maintenance of SARS-2 in, in our natural wildlife habitat? Hmm. Uh, a final word, um, Doc, on this is, uh, where do you see this going in terms of its investigation? Uh, there seems to be some stonewalling still by the, the Chinese government. Um, do you sense that we will get a final answer to this, or is this going to remain a mystery? I guess just like your your audience and yourself, Alan, will find out once the investigation is done. <laughs> <laughs> Energy. Aaron J. Banerjee, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on the program today. Thanks for having me. Bye. That is Aaron J. Banerjee, who is a virologist at the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization in Saskatoon.